Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, today this passage uh, is somewhat of a famous one, another epic uh, felt board you know, story if you grew up in Sunday school like I did, seeing Jesus walk on water. But as I really dove into it this week, I was struck by just how overwhelming this, this story is and, and, and where it comes in the story of Jesus's life that we have in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and it's, it, but I think it's a passage, if we can let into our minds and hearts, will really shape our understanding of reality in a, in a huge way. So we're gonna break it down into three parts. Jesus prays, Jesus walks, and Jesus heals. And my hope, the, the cry of my heart for us this morning is that by looking at Jesus in these three parts, we will hear and feel deeply in our bones uh, the exact invitation that he gives to his disciples. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. They're, they're beautiful words and they're words that a lot of us may have heard before, but I just want us to hear as Jesus followers, hear our King, the one who died for you, calling you in to a life of courage. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. That's all Jesus says in this passage. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a action-packed passage. That's why the, our points are verbs. You know, Jesus uh, praying and walking and healing. Uh, but all those actions that he does builds a foundation for courage. That's what I want us to see. The three things that Jesus does in this passage is the foundation for the call to courage. So let's dive in to our passage here. First couple of verses, verse 45 and Mark 6. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. First point, Jesus prays. In the context of this biography of Jesus, uh, it's coming at a crazy time. Uh, Just to recap, he was rejected by his hometown where he grew up, people that knew him from when he was a little boy. And according to Luke's account of that story, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Brutal. It's really painful. And then uh, shortly after that, his cousin, John the Baptist, was murdered in just a senseless, evil way, had his head cut off. So he's heartbroken, and he tries to get away on a prayer retreat with his disciples to get some rest, it says earlier in this chapter. But when they get to the quiet spot, when they get to the wilderness, their campsite, uh, there's a, a mob of angry, restless men uh, uh, that are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he teaches them and feeds them. And so now in our text, it says that Jesus immediately made his disciples get into a boat and dismissed the crowd. He dismissed this crowd, which interestingly enough was, uh, according to John's account, wanted to take him by, make him king by force. But instead of riding this wave of popularity, he's like, disciples, you need to go get, get, get some space. And he dismisses the crowd and then goes alone to the mountain to pray. 
we obviously don't have the exact times or whatever, but presumably it was like early eve or you know early evening or late evening, maybe nine o'clock. He goes up to the mountain after he fed everybody and dismissed everybody. And we know from the text the the fourth watch just before dawn, probably four or five in the morning. And so uh, it's not unrealistic to see in the text that Jesus spent six to eight hours alone at night on the mountain in prayer. It's not hard to read Jesus's desperation here, seeing this like blow after blow, rejected by his hometown, his cousin being murdered, uh, interrupted prayer retreat, and he's just like, I have to get away. I have to go be alone in prayer with my heavenly father. I, I, I hope we can see our king praying in a new light. It was like, of course, he, Jesus is Jesus. He's always praying. He's a spiritual person. He's praying, praying, praying. But if we think about it, ask a few questions. Uh, why is he praying? If he's God, why does he need to pray? We talk about this a lot If because uh, then we get into the Trinity, right? Like, how, how does this work? Jesus is God. But he's also the Son. He's fully human, fully God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, all these things. The, the Trinity, uh, which is an orthodox doctrine of our faith, says that there's one God who's in three persons. And it's a paradox. It's like, wait, one and three? How can both those things be true? The Bible just says, you don't have to understand it. You just believe it. It is true. Uh, it's a mystery of ontological being that we simply are invited to embrace and, 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 and be in awe of. And without going in, into depth of Trinitarian theology, the main thing I want us to see from this point about Jesus praying is this, that God is relationship. God isn't relationships. <laughs> There's a lot of people that try to make the relationships God. What I'm saying is that God in the essence of his being is relationship. And the three in one, there's a God in who he is and the very nature of his being is relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. At the core of all that exists is this relational being called Yahweh. And since he is the source of everything, all that is flows out of the very being of God, uh, the very being that we can say is love. God is love because even within the Trinity, there is this ongoing, the eternal overflowing love from one person of the Trinity to the next. Uh, we see that <clears throat> relationships are the point of everything. If we miss the relational foundation of our entire cosmos that flows out of the relational God within the Trinity, then we, life will never fully make sense. I know, I know it's an awkward statement to say God is relationship, but I'm trying to make it awkward to hopefully to make it memorable. And again, I'm not saying God is relationships because probably a lot of us have made that error to try to make a relationship God. What I'm saying is that God is in his being relationship. And so everything that Jesus does as a member of this relational God, the Trinity, uh, flows out of this perfect loving relationship. The greatest commandment is what? It's, well, it's greatest commandments. They're inseparable. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you are and love others as yourself. All, everything hangs on that. The whole law and prophets hang on this love, this relational reality. The core of Jesus' life on earth 
as we're observing our King on earth in the Gospel of Mark, as we're considering what it means to follow Jesus as our King, is to enter into a relational way of being, a relational way of being with God the Father, being with the God who drew near to us in Jesus, and in Jesus made a way, the whole point of Jesus coming was to make a way back into relationship with God. This probably isn't new to very many of you, but I hope, I hope it, it strikes us afresh. This is an encouraging reminder, this relational foundation of reality. Because without this relational foundation of reality, all kinds of things go wonky. All kinds of goofy things happen. I mean, you know, I'm a pastor, so I kind of dabble in church world, but just consider, you know, the, the goofy things that can happen even in like church under the name of Jesus when relationships fall by the wayside. You know, we have powerful preachers whose wives can barely look at them, you know, because they're jerks at home. They're like very gifted in the pulpit, but like their family doesn't want to be around them. Or we have, you know, all these gorgeous fancy buildings in a lot of our downtowns in downtowns of our cities uh, that are empty because it, 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 it missed the relational reality. Or we have lots of programs to help people with different things or help poor people, but just as long as we don't have to touch them or sit with them or share a meal with them or get, let, get inconvenienced by them and life becomes powerless, dull, and lonely, you know? And maybe and, and, and on, on a ground level, it could be like, well, I work really hard for my family. Was like, when was the last time we might sit and listen carefully to our wives or just waste time with our kids or grandkids? It's so sneaky to have good things like work or even church ministry or preaching or whatever. So, miss the point. All those things are in service to relationships relationship with God, relationship with others. If anything in our life that we're giving our time to is now ultimately feeding into richer relationships with God and others, then we're missing the point. Jesus' praise shows us that all that he does flows out of this intimacy with God. And he, and he is the truest human ever to walk the earth. He lived the human life according to the design for the human life. And it was meant to be lived in this prayerful, intimate habit of coming home to our Father's loving embrace. That's what Jesus is doing in prayer. trying to hold myself back from a full sermon on prayer. Pretty fired up about prayer recently, but let me just tell a story. So in our house, we try to go around the dining room table when we're eating dinner and take turns praying, um, which is, which is a, you know, it's a growth edge. You got some young, young people around their table. At, and uh, Ruby, my four-year-old, who used to be super into prayer, she used to be like always volunteering. She just like quit, just didn't want to do it anymore and gets all like crumply and whiny or whatever. And she's like, I don't want to. I don't want to pray. And I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, still somewhat of a new parent or whatever. So take this with a grain of salt or whatever. But the, my advice to her and my advice to you is like, just tell God that. This is the beauty of prayer. This is the intimacy of prayer. Ruby, you can just say, dear God, I don't really want to pray right now. But thanks for this food. Amen. Like you can say that. Like, God, I don't really like you right now. Whatever it is true. The, the, the best advice that I've ever heard on prayer, which is also not proper grammar, is pray what you got. The best advice I have for, for, for prayer is just whatever you got, put it out there to God, 
write it down. That helps me a lot or whatever. But this is the type of prayer that fosters intimacy, where you, you feel the scandal of grace, where you pray things that might not be theologically correct. Like, you know, there's Psalms, uh, two of them in particular, that aren't theologically correct. There, there, there's two Psalms where they, he just, the psalmist doesn't pull out of the nosedive. He's just depressed, angry at God, and it's, and it's over. <laughs> and I love that. Out of 150 Psalms, there's two. It shows that it's okay. You know, two out of 150 times. Just like, God, I, I got nothing. I don't really like you right now. But out of this intimacy in this kind of prayer, telling God whatever you are honestly thinking and feeling, there is a, a level of grace and experience of belonging that we, can't, we can get no other way. And it's part of the foundation for a life of courage. Part two, Jesus walks. Anyone else got Kanye West playing in their heads? Oh, a couple nods. Oh, it's like, I was like, come on, Josh, know your audience. But yeah, we got some, we got some, got some Kanye fans. Well, let's read 48. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. So these few verses might be some of the most loaded and powerful pictures of Jesus's absolute divinity, divinity, that Mark is connecting this image right here with some pretty powerful moments in the Old Testament. <clears throat> First one, uh, I just want to look at two, two, or two brief ones. Exodus 33. It says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord Yahweh in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock where my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Don't have time to go super deep into this passage. It's a mon monumental passage in the Old Testament where God reveals himself and shares his name with humans. And we have this idea of passing by or passing in front of you three times. Part of God's revelation of himself to humanity in his glory, in his magnificent splendor and holiness is that it's so pure, so intense, like a consuming fire that sinful humans cannot see it and live. And so the grace of this moment in Exodus 33 was to allow Moses to, to see his back as it were, to see the place where he had just been as a little taste of the glory. And because it's, if you think about it in our text, why was Jesus about to pass by? Like he walked towards them, but he was going to keep on going. Like what was going on there? Was he just going to try to sneak past or something like that. But what Mark is doing is, is, is inserting Jesus into the scene from Exodus 33, where he's presenting God, God, Jesus as God on earth, Yahweh on earth, who is present. And the walking on water, let's just consider this for a moment. Because if you think about it, it's in somewhat of a, its own category 
of miracles, if you, if you consider it. All of the other miracles uh, affect people or help people, like water into wine, like people were able to drink it and it kept the party going, or healing, uh, healing people who are sick or deliverance from demons. Most of Jesus' miracles dealt with other people. So compared to those, walking on water is almost like a party trick or like, you know, just a necessity because they only had one boat. You know, he didn't have a chance to get a second boat. And so I'll just play the God card and walk across on water. But similar to the past by language, Jesus walking on water is a hyperlink to the Old Testament, showing us something profound about who Jesus is. Several verses we could say, but let me, but just look at Job 9, 8. It says, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. In scripture, almost every miracle that Jesus did was also done by someone else who is the Messiah. Other people raised people from the dead. Other people healed people. Other people multiplied food. But God alone treads on the waves. God alone walks on water. In Jesus walking on water, we see without a question his majestic divinity, his co-equality with Yahweh, which only becomes more clear in what he says. Look at the rest of it, verse 50. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. When Jesus says, take courage, it is I, he's using the same language of God's self-disclosure from Exodus 33. When he says, my name is the Lord, my name is Yahweh. The literal translation of the Hebrew is, uh, it means that I am. It's I am that I am. It it is God saying that my name is I am existence. All existence flows from my existence. My existence defines all other selves. And Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Take courage. I am. He uses in Greek the the same words that the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses to, to translate Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Do not be afraid. Jesus walks means that he is the great I am. Verse 53, Jesus heals. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Now, this is one of the few paragraphs in... in the gospel of Mark, that's like a montage in a movie. Do you know what, I'm ta- you know what like montages are? Like the probably most famous one, maybe this was the original montage, uh, Rocky one, you know, where they're, they're, what's the point of a montage? They, you know, they, they play a song to the eye of the tiger. We get 
a bunch of glimpses of, of Rocky training, punching sides of beef or running up the steps. And the point of a montage is what? To compress time for the viewer. To compress time and communicate one clear idea of like a lot of things of this type are happening. So we see Rocky doing a lot of stuff, intense season of drinking raw eggs and pushing himself. So these three verses are Mark giving us a montage of Jesus's powerful, massive, unstoppable healing ministry. The sheer craziness of people running around frantically trying to bring their sick and the, the incredible healing power just flowing out of him, even of his tassels, which we didn't have time to get into. There's another Old Testament hyperlink uh, from a prophecy about the tassels of, of the Messiah. But the point of this montage is that the kingdom of God is breaking in, that in Jesus coming to earth, God's will be, is being done and his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is coming as the one every human soul longs for. And it's super fascinating in the Greek, the word translated heal here is also translated other places as save. It's a word that means both physical healing and a holistic spiritual type of, of saving. He is Yahweh who forgives all our iniquities as Psalm 103 says, and what? heals our diseases, who redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with steadfast love. Let's talk about courage because all three of these points, Jesus praying, Jesus walking, Jesus healing are the foundation of, of courage. Now, when Jesus says, take courage, that is actually one word in the Greek, and it's my top three. I feel like I'm talking about Greek a lot. I'm sorry. Thanks for sticking with me. But there's some really cool things in it. Top three favorite words uh, in Greek is the, the word here, tharseo. Uh, if, I were to, if I were into tattoos, I'd probably get tharseo tattooed on my body. It, it's a verb form of the word courage. It's like choose to do courage or like courage yourself. It's really sloppy. It's really awkward in English, but it's this choose to do courage is maybe a, a working definition. And Jesus says it a lot, says it a lot in the gospels and other places too. So I want to talk about courage for a minute. Uh, it's very fascinating. You, you look throughout time, human history, you look throughout human cultures uh, and, and various, almost every culture comes up with a list of virtues, a list of values that it's decided like these are the qualities that make for a good life, that make life worth living. There's Greek, Greek virtues, there's Confucian virtues across continent, history, time, culture. And the fascinating thing is when you look at all these different lists, courage is the one virtue that shows up on every single list. And what I find fascinating is that courage feels like, apart from maybe Brene Brown, I never hear courage talked about in our culture. I mean, I think when we look at what courage is, it almost seems like we are functionally anti-courage. Like we are seeking to eliminate the need of courage. Consider, uh, Consider the recipe of courage, and then we'll look at a definition. Courage, in order to be courageous, you have to love something more than your own comfort. In our culture today, comfort is king. I mean, that is like everything in our economy is pushing to increase more and more comfort. 
The average person, even on welfare, lives with more luxuries and comforts than most kings had even in the past. And, 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 as, and part of this comfort is this, this sense of we, we have to be able to express ourselves in any way, in, in, in any possible way, in any, any possible form and be accepted. And my individual comfort and achievement is the highest principle. The highest principle is ourselves. And so to talk about loving something more than our own comfort is deeply an affront to our culture because it requires us, it requires us to, to sacrifice, to hurt. And then, and then it, it can alienate our relationships because as you are around a courageous person, it exposes all, all the ways that, that other people are bowing out to protect their comfort. And can I just say, if you're following Jesus, it will hurt, it will be uncomfortable and now there are many churches, many Christian circles where you can be comfortable. They cater to comfort. They, if comfort is the good news people want to hear. They'll figure out a way to make comfort the good news that we gather around. But we see Jesus instead saying, take courage. Choose to do courage. So loving something more than your own comfort. The next part of courage is an awareness of danger. This is probably the biggest one for us. That one of the reasons that courage is a crucial element of the good life in culture after culture across time and continents is because pretty much before us, before our civilization, every culture accepted danger as just a fact of life. Part of being a human on the earth. And this is how I read it, take it or leave it, but it seems like we might be the first culture who seeks to remove danger and risk at any cost. We have insurance for everything. Uh, and instead of seeking to become the kind of people who can confront and overcome danger and risk, we are doing everything we can to remove it. So if something is difficult or painful, it must be wrong. Or if someone else is bothered by something I do and say, then it must be wrong. If your commitment to a principle offends me, then you and your principle must be wrong. I think for us as Christians in this day and age, when we talk about courage, I think a big part of it might be, be uh, being willing to risk offending other people as we lovingly, kindly, simply state the truth of what we believe. A friend told me about a book club she was in that had a cool mix of Christians and non-Christians. And at one point, one of the not Jesus followers in the group went on a rant uh, about how uh, inhumane it, it is to repeal Roe versus Wade, take away abortion, how, how terrible that, that is. And all the Christians were silent. Like no, no, no one spoke up. And I think sometimes maybe in the past, we've had really heavy hitters that were unloving and how they maybe stood for some Christian worldviews. And so we've kind of fallen off the other side of the horse where we, we're not trying to convince anyone, but simply stating the truth of what we believe to be true about the image of God in every single human. Maybe someone, maybe some of us right here are having the Holy Spirit bring to mind examples where we did not show courage, but in the name of being relevant or building relationships, we held back the truth. And again, I'm not saying you have to come with the hammer. You got to come with a 10 point argument that shocking all people into agreeing with you. I'm talking about a simple, loving statement of the truth. 
Third part of courage is acting in spite of the danger. To be a courageous person is not to just be, uh, you know, like a 25-year-old on Mountain Dew who just drinks Mountain Dew and just like hits the jump and doesn't think about the, you know, the implications or whatever. Courage is, <clears throat> looking at you, Rick, and uh, <laughs> uh, hitting jumps is great. Mountain Dew is fine. I'm just saying courage is not ignoring danger, pretending like it's not there. Courage is looking at it and realizing that I love something more than just being safe. I love something more than living life without a sense of risk. Because what, what do we often do in our culture if we don't like someone? We, we cancel them or ignore them or we burn books that bother us or, or something like that. It's an incredible cultural moment that we are in, that we try to remove anything possibly offensive or disagreeable or fearful. And that, that is a culture void of courage. And I, I'm not trying to save culture or anything. I'm trying to talk about how might we as Jesus followers live with courage as a contrasting beautiful resistance to this cowardly way uh, of living. So a working definition of courage is loving something so much that despite seeing the danger clearly, you act anyway. You accept the, rich, accept the risk. And it's just not possible to follow King Jesus to be a Christian without courage. And consider this mind-blowing verse from the very end of the Bible. I, I, this was something that popped into the study this week that I've just been floored by. I've read this so many times, I've never seen it. This is Revelation 21. At the very end, right after a beautiful passage of wiping away every tear and all that stuff, it says, this is Jesus talking. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this but I will be their, and I will be their God and they will be my children. This is the part where, this is, that's normally where we stop when we're looking for a pick-me-up at the end of the Bible. Verse eight, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And I was just floored that the first thing on that list is the cowardly, right right there with the sexually immoral, immoral and the witchcraft and the murderers, cowardly. Friend, according to scripture, there is not a place and the redemption of all things, the new heavens and the new earth for people who do not love something more than their own safety, their own status quo, their own preferences. I think sometimes we might think, you know, courage is like being tall. It's something you're born with or fast or a leader. You know, it's like a God-given thing. But Jesus in our passage here is it's a verb. It says take courage, choose to do courage. There's something it's something you can choose to do. It's not ignoring the danger, but it's looking at it, looking at the danger and choosing to pursue what is good, beautiful and true under the reign of King Jesus two specific applications for you to pray about. The first one is the invitation to join the rotation in our kids' church ministry. It's the ministry that serves our kids during this time right here. It's happening right now. Lots of people serving there. And as a dad of three precious Tasmanian devils, I can say that kids can be scary and, and overwhelming sometimes. Uh, and I can also say that kids very rarely care about your comfort as an adult. <laughs> 
And all the parents said amen, and grandparents said amen. (laughs) It's the invitation to join the once a month rotation in our kids' church ministries, an invitation to put our money where our mouth is as a church family. When we say that we wanna grow younger, we say that we wanna be a place that's welcoming for young families. And it's a chance to let the beauty of reaching the next generation with the good news of Jesus be, be more important to us than our own comfort, our own security, our own preferences. We're having a kids lunch, I mentioned already, for our volunteers who are already serving. And if you, and if you maybe that's just the next step is just to show up to the lunch. No commitment, nothing to sign at that meeting or anything like that before you get lunch. Uh, just come and eat some free food and consider if God might be calling you to step into that once a month. I, I know it's different than how kids ministry has been done in the past, or at least for a while. Uh, but I also believe with every fiber of my being is that it's a way, it's a practical way to love people. And it's a practical way to put yourself in a place to receive God's love. So we pour ourselves out, create space for God to fill us up with his love. So that's a specific invitation. The, the, the next one is more general, which is to consider the courage required to let things go. Ask the Holy Spirit where you personally and we as a church family need need to be pruned. This has been a, a, a growth edge for me, but it's something I've grown to to look forward to and to delight in. When I get rid of things and there's that that kind of like thrill of fear or like, but but what if I but what if I need it or whatever? To to know that feeling is creating space for God to fill it up. A real practical example, and I'm so I was gonna try to honor Julie Large, but she's serving in kids ministry right now. Uh, She she led a team of people and literally getting rid of just stuff that has piled up in our church building. Uh, Last last Saturday, they had a free yard sale to the neighborhood. People would come and just take stuff uh, for free. Stuff that had just built up over the years of of ministry here, and they raised some money for LifeWise, which is great. Uh, But it's it's awesome, and in my mind, it's like a concrete example of kind of what I, I'm curious, it could be the invitation for us as a church family of pruning and creating space. Like they literally created space. I don't know if you saw the purple room in the top corner of the kid's wing. It was a terrifying room, even just to look into the window. It was so, <laughs> made my chest constrict just to look at it. Now there's more space. Not sure what we're gonna do with it yet, but there's more space. Uh, and so that's, that's the image that I hope that we can see in, in this idea of pruning. I think as a church family, we have some pruning to do in the FAQs. We talk about some of the things that we've pruned at least for this year and why we felt the need to do that. We got way less staff than we did last year and I'm new and Ryan's coming on staff and all that stuff. But what might God do as we create space for him to fill? We create space and we wait, being curious as a church family. And as we do this corporately, I think that will probably look like some of us doing it individually or as a family. Like what is going on in your life? What, uh, we can be cluttered in lots of different ways. Camille and I love purging and minimalism and all that stuff, but where we get cluttered is in our calendar where we try to do everything all the time. And so, you know, we have capsule wardrobes and then just like an overflowing Google calendar. Like we all find ways to be cluttered. And what is it for you? What might God be calling you uh, to cut out to create space? and then wait and see what kind of fruit he might grow in that. And I'm not saying that you can't be sad about something not happening or letting go of something or that it's not scary. It is scary. There's, there's a sense of at least a, some sense, a false sense of security. I mean, that's why people hoard things. 
just to like have it, you know, maybe I'll need it. I don't know. Just want to have, fill up the space, but I'm saying create space to let God work. Consider the fear and danger and jump into the work that we're doing here. Well, Jesus can tell us to take courage because God is a relational God. Jesus is courageous because what he loves more than his own safety is this relationship with God the Father. And this call to courage is coming from a God who in his very being is intimacy and safety and belonging. And Jesus tells us to take courage because he is God, the only one who can tread the waves. And what does he do? He doesn't pass by this time like in Exodus. What does he do? He gets into the boat. Jesus, as the Trinitarian God of the universe, Yahweh in the flesh, doesn't walk by, but gets into the boat with us. And so we are not alone. He is with us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. And he's the God who can tell us, he he can tell us to take courage because he heals. All who come to Jesus are healed. All who come to Jesus will be made whole. And this is what fuels our courage and experience of Jesus, experience of the healing, the salvation that belongs in him. And then wanting to tell others about it, being set on fire and sent into the world with courage because we've experienced a love better than anything the world has to offer, a comfort that's so much better than just fast food and sitcoms and the tidy American dream. To close, let me just read the best two-verse picture that, uh, of courage from Jesus. This is Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we see a picture of Jesus taking courage and for the joy set before him, enduring danger, the ultimate danger on the cross. And and the joy set before him was bringing you into the family of God. So we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places at the table of God because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he took courage, staring the danger in the face, uh, in, in, in its face, and, and was crucified for you and conquered death for you. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we come before you. We just pray that you would have mercy on us as we... Uh, consider the storms of our life as we bring these tender, broken places um, of fear uh, before you. And Father, in this season of uh, life together as a church family, where we have said goodbye to two dear brothers in the last couple weeks, as we are in a lot of transition, a lot of changes, um, I pray that you just be the God of comfort, that all of us here, uh, wherever our hearts are, would hear Jesus looking at us in love as, as Yahweh, the one who treads the waves and saying, take courage, I'm with you. Father, would we be courageous people? Would we, we get a taste of the goodness of knowing Jesus, the, the healing that is, is available to us in him as he looks at the painful parts of our story and brings uh, renewal and redemption. 
Father, would you uh, fill us with your spirit right now? Would spirit, would you be at work bringing to mind uh, people that we need to speak up and share truth with uh, things in our lives that we need to prune, that we need to uh, let you take away. And I pray we'd be a church that, that would create space. So we'd feel the, uh, the space and we'd sit with it and wait for you to fill it with fruit that's from you. And it's uh, from the spirit, not from the flesh or our ideas or our, our strategies. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus' courage to face down death and sin and the devil. And we thank you that he conquered them in the resurrection. In his name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.